2: Welcome to a Super Bloom podcast. It's me, your host, Candice King. And today we are diving into this kind of Valentine's Day set of episodes that I wanted to give to you. I know that it's the day after Valentine's Day, but I I really felt like this was a two-parter. And today, I just wanted to use narcissism to tee up gaslighting. Yep. And who better to speak about gaslighting with than Dr. Robin Stern. Dr. Robin Stern is the co-founder and senior advisor to the director at Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence. She is a licensed psychoanalyst with 30 years of experience in treating individuals, couples, and families. She is also the author of the books, The Gaslight Effect, and the Gaslight Effect Recovery Guide. I have read her articles. I've heard her other interviews. I could not be more excited to be able to sit down with her today. You can follow her on Instagram, on social media, at Dr. Robin Stern. And you can also check out her podcast, the Gaslight Effect Podcast. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. Robin Stern.
3: Never thought of Nashville as being cold. That's so interesting. I
2: know. I've I've only been here for a couple of years and it has Mm -hmm. snowed every winter. And so, but this is a day three or four of being snowed in. So I know, I think I'm brave enough. I grew up in Florida, so I'm not good with driving (laughs) the wet icy road, but I'm going to attempt later today. But it's it's before speaking with you, I was speaking with my producer, Melissa, and I, I was just wondering, even just in researching to be able to have the opportunity to sit down with you. Like, is there... A relationship that, like, are there relational dynamics that don't include an element of gaslighting? Like, do you feel like, I'm so thrilled to be speaking on this subject today, but mm-hmm. I also was wondering, I was like, is this just, is this just my own personal experiences in my own past? Like, is is there a world in which people are in relationships or have been in like long-term relationships or short-term relationships where there's just been no gaslighting, that they don't even, they're like, what is this concept?
3: Well, certainly there are a lot of people who are saying, what is this concept? But to answer your more important (laughs) question, there, there are relationships where the core of the dynamic is not gaslighting. There are relationships where people listen to one another and don't or manipulate the reality don't deflect responsibility so that it's constantly about you when you started the conversation about them so yes but more importantly even though a lot of relationships do include gaslighting even if it's inadvertent but you're anxious about something or someone else is anxious about your, a decision you made or just a place you decided you wanted to travel to, worried that you're not going to be safe and starts to gaslight you about your decision, right? That's possible. But the difference is that when you are in a relationship where the core is not gaslighting and you say, hey, you know what? I think you just deflected responsibility Mm -hmm. or hey you know what curious about why we're now talking about me when i asked you about what happened last night that you didn't call and the and in a relationship where the person is not a committed gaslighter or doesn't use that every time they're uncomfortable it's much more likely to end up in a back and forth conversation hey you know maybe i did do that you're right i mean i can certainly remember times although i can't think of specific examples where one of my kids would look at me and say mom i think that was gaslighting you know remember i read that book and i can look back and say that there were times that probably was true
2: kids are so smart it is i mean the emotional intelligence of children is just it, it blows my mind all the time i'm so surprised that's probably one of the more surprising parts of parenthood is just how emotionally intelligent kids are. And then I don't know if it's unlearned or, you know, you just grow. I, I don't know what happens, but it's really precious when they call you out on things. <laughs> and
3: you're like, Wow. Dude. Do you
2: have children? I do. Yes, I have.
3: How old are they?
2: I have two children that I gave birth to that are three, and my older child just turned eight. And then I have mm-hmm. stepchildren from my previous marriage that are eighteen and twenty-one, and I've known them since they were seven and nine. Wow. So, mm-hmm. so I've seen.
3: So, They've taught you've me a seen
2: lot. It all. <laughs> I've seen <laughs> it all. Well, for anyone that doesn't know, I mean, gaslight was the term word of the year in 2022. Was, I mean the, yes. the Dixie Chicks call, or the the chicks called their record Gaslighter. I mean this mm-hmm. was a very I feel like a word that's really come into the zeitgeist yes. more recently. And I know that you 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 coined the term the gaslight effect many, many yes. years ago. For anyone that doesn't know what it means to gaslight or doesn't understand mm-hmm. the term gaslighter, can you give yeah. them a very simple just explanation of what that is?
3: Sure. Well, thank you for asking. And, and just a nod to your successful parenthood that you made it through teenage years at least <laughs> once. Right? Yeah, thanks. So a gaslighter is someone who seeks to sow seeds of doubt In the mind of their target and it usually happens over time it usually happens in a power relationship where the person who has the more the the more powerful position or to whom you've given more power because you've decided they are either your parent or someone who loves you when you idealize them that person becomes partner in a dance that I call the gaslight tango and in that dance as I said, seeks to sow seeds of doubt by manipulating you psychologically, by twisting reality, by shifting the focus of a conversation. So you say to me, you know, Robin, I thought we were meeting at seven o'clock. And I say to you, you know, Candace, you, you have no memory. This happened last time too. Don't you remember that? We, you thought we were meeting at seven? No, we're supposed to meet at six. You need to work on that. And then suddenly, if you're vulnerable, you're thinking wonder if she's right
2: mm-hmm. i the movie is so great too that i and i've seen it before and i hadn't seen it and i watched it a couple of years ago and it just it floored me it just blew my mind it's so simple it's an old old
3: film i forget what it's called is it called gaslight or it's called no, gaslight it is called, called gaslight and it was the american remake of a film I believe it was 1944 remake of a film that I believe was in 1940 in England. And that was a remake or a film version of a play that had been written or performed in 1938 by Patrick Hamilton initially. And the 1944 movie was acclaimed because it had the incredible movie stars Ingrid Bergman and Charles Boyer. And in that movie, the husband, whose character's name was Gregory, was this diabolical guy who was trying to steal his wife, Paula's jewels, the ones that were hidden in her attic because they had belonged to her very wealthy and important aunt who he had murdered so the audience knows this and this Mm -hmm. is the background for the movie but the reason it got its name gaslight is that he would play with the gaslights that were lighting up the house the interior of the house and paula would say did you notice the gaslights flicker or i think i noticed the gaslights flicker and he would say no the gas lights didn't flicker there was no one in the attic it couldn't possibly have been flickering cuz that's where the, the uh, that would have caused them to flicker if somebody was walking on the floor jiggling the floorboards the gas lights mm-hmm. might have flickered or if he was playing directly with the gas lights
2: and it's such a perfect example of it cuz it's something that's so small and it just so, plants the seed of self-doubt and it's the smallest little seed and it is wild how that can grow if it exactly. keeps being nurtured and nurtured and nurtured and you suddenly you and then someone can find themselves completely unable to even commit to like understand how they feel without someone telling them how they should feel
3: exactly uh, that's so it's such an important point because it doesn't have to be an extreme for example where people say it was soul destroying because he was so brutal with who I am and taking apart my character can simply be, you don't remember things, do you? Mm -hmm. You're too sensitive, aren't you? Mm -hmm. And when you have that self-doubt, when you have that question, you're right. It bleeds into other areas. And it may then be hard for you to trust your decision-making about other things or to trust your judgment about somebody you're getting close to. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. I was gonna yes. ask.
3: <laughs> <laughs> the answer is yes, yes. You have uh-huh. yes, I
2: have. I was, you know, in a very even just young relationships. I look back and and see tendencies, but I was in a, a fairly emotionally abusive and it tur- turned physical abusive relationship in my early twenties, and it was interesting. Just kind of even in the healing part afterwards, I remember I took this writing class and it was like a kind of a storytelling class and and you perform a piece that you, you know that you end up writing. And the piece that I ended up performing was about this pair of leather pants. And it seemed so silly, but these pants were just really special to me because I'd kept them because I had been convinced that I was just such a slut and I was such a whore. Uh, His words, not mine, (laughs) but became mine in my head. And that that I just looked so like I was asking for it. And I just, you know, just the, the narrative. And over time in that relationship, I was worried about the makeup that I would wear because it was always just small comments about like the amount that I would wear. And like these pants that I wore turned into this huge fight, huge fight. And I kept them... And there was buildup within this class that I was going to wear the leather pants when I, when I performed this piece and I wore them and everyone was like, oh, I thought you were going to wear those like scandalous leather pants. And I said, I am. These are, these are them. And the look on their faces of just that, that, that it, just how sad it was that these very simple (laughs) pants, you know, Mm -hmm. like that tormented me and made me feel so awful And and to to no one else, they seemed scandalous. But I truly believed that they were this, these like dominatrix style leather pants. And it just, I could see it on their faces and it just kind of hit me all over again. But it's something Mm -hmm. like, it's it's crazy that you can, you convince yourself of this other narrative
3: when it's fed to you. Yeah. Well, first, I'm sorry that you had to go through that difficult time. Awful, obviously. But here you are. Superb. Yeah. No. <laughs> do you remember though when? Do you remember thinking initially, but this is kind of crazy. Do you remember when it started, and it was small and not uh, as powerful, and then over time it became worse. Do you remember that trajectory? Because I know. Oh, yeah. Like- oh yeah.
2: It, it was originally. It was. It, it started with like bringing up past relationships, mm-hmm. and then it started with my physical. So, so then my relationship with other with other people of the opposite sex. Mm-hmm. And so then I kind of then diminished, you know, those relationships. And then it turned into my physical appearance. So then it was mm-hmm. the makeup that I was wearing, the clothes that I was wearing, you know, the way that I uh, would be very, I was just always a very bubbly person. And I just, I look back and saw myself slowly becoming mm-hmm. smaller and smaller and smaller and dimming my light and dimming my light mm-hmm. and dimming my light. And, but it started just, just little, little comments, just yeah. little comments. And I, it, and that would also then later on turn into a big fight. So then you don't want to fight. So you make, you just prevent the, the thing that starts the fight and it must be you because it has to do it. So then you just make yourself smaller because you don't want the fight.
3: Right. So there's a term, pathological accommodation, where you want, you're just going to give in so that you can accommodate his point of view or their point of view, and you don't have to have a fight. Good strategy, right? Except that over time, as you're saying, your light is dimming. You're giving away little pieces of yourself. And I can remember so many cases, one of them that, that is just hard to believe for the person who went through this herself where she would walk down the street with her boyfriend sounds like her boyfriend and the man you were talking about have a lot in common and he would accuse her of flirting and accuse her of being uh, suggestive on the street when she would say hello to somebody it was her neighborhood and she did know people and people would say hello and he said well you know i have an idea why don't you just look down at the sidewalk when we're walking down the street so you don't have to be flirting with people? And so she would get caught up initially and I'm not flirting, I'm not flirting. And then maybe over time she began to think, could I, could I be mistaken? Mm-hmm. Could people think I'm flirting with them? And when she got to my office, it was at the point in time where he had convinced her that not only should she look down at the street while she was walking, which she accommodated to and felt that that was a good resolve because then they weren't fighting. But also that when they then sat down at the restaurant, she would have to always take the seat where she looked at the wall so that nobody would say hello to her and she wouldn't be in a position where she, according to him, would feel compelled to flirt with him. And she said, I, I don't know if there's something wrong With him asking me, it does make sense, after all, Dr. Stern, we're not fighting anymore. So it must have been my fault. If I wasn't doing those things, we wouldn't have been fighting. But I just don't feel like my same self anymore in the relationship. Mm -hmm. For
2: someone who finds themselves, who is able to remove themselves from a relationship in which there's a lot of gaslighting, how do they find themselves again? Like, do you for for in your experience with your patients, what are things that have helped people find themselves? Because now I think a lot of people hopefully do understand, you know, the the idea of gaslighting. I feel like people are talking about that more. There is hopefully a much bigger awareness, uh, you know. People going into relationships, I do feel that this younger generation, I'm rooting for them. They are so on top of it with the therapy. They drink, they drink so much water. <laughs> they're all on the TikTok, you know, sharing right. their feelings. they're so that's positive. But for for those who have found themselves in these relationships and you know f- have been able to remove themselves I mean that's a hard part in itself I actually don't want to skip over that what that's the hard thing too is to break that pattern and to say that that when the day is finally different and you go nope actually I don't agree with that and I don't want to sit and stare at the wall anymore and I don't have to what breaking points have you seen in patients that you've worked with like what what how do people get out
3: well often just like in the movie it's someone else who says something to you or someone witnesses something that you're going through in that dynamic and says, are you kidding me? Like, why are you staring at the wall? Like that's not the person I know you to be. Or at some point it's like, there's just one insult or one assault too much. Yeah. And you're just weighed down. And I just get to your breaking point. There, there's this analogy with the bathtubs that somebody told me years ago, and I'm I'm not going to remember it as well as it was told to me. But when there's water in a bathtub, even if it's just a few drops of water, there's still water in the bathtub. But when the last drop of water leaves the bathtub, there's just no more water in the bathtub. And it's when it may not be the best analogy, but some, when it's gone, your connection, your need to stay, your fear of leaving before that person thinks well of you, before you make amends, before you can accommodate, then it's, it's done. When that fear is gone and you can say no more. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I, every once in a while, I'll still message one of my friends who came over that day and I, it, I mean, this was so long ago, but it still makes me emotional. I, I don't really remember much of it. Mm-hmm. I just remember she came over and I knew, I, like, for some reason it stuck in my head three days. I don't know. I just know that there were just three really bad days of a lot of yelling and... And and then, but I just, she came over and the house was empty and I'd lived with this person and she came over and she just made me pack my bag. And I said, I can't, these are all my things. Like, I can't just leave them. And she's like, they're just mm-hmm. things. like And she made me pack my bag and she said, you're leaving right now and I'm not leaving until you leave. Mm-hmm. And I am just always so grateful. And I literally, I, p- I packed, I packed a suitcase. I left everything and went and stayed at my aunt's house until i was able to get myself situated and i was just so grateful and cuz i it was just so such a relief to finally hear someone say like this isn't normal like yeah. and you don't cuz i'd been around so many people and had that behavior happen in front of a lot of people and seen the fear on other people's faces mm-hmm. too but no one ever did anything and or said anything and i and i just figured like well maybe this is maybe I'm just being dramatic. Like maybe this mm-hmm. my, maybe this happens in relationships. Maybe this is just what happens. Right. Especially when you're young and you don't, you know, have that agency within yourself yet. I mean, I I'm a big believer in that it's true. Your brain does not develop until you're later on in your 20s and yeah. and so I've definitely looked back on that time, but it sticks with you. It sticks with you and and I and I think that that is a hard thing too is Looking back, releasing shame or guilt that like you put yourself Mm -hmm. in that situation. Embarrassment, looking back and being like, how did I, that's not me. I'm a strong person. Like, how did I allow myself to believe all of that? But then also not bringing that into other relationships or or how to navigate future relationships while still trying to unpack all of the, the weight that you were carrying at that time. For when people are removing themselves mm-hmm. from a relationship and and they have made it to the other side and they mm-hmm. see the light, the they see the lights flickering. They know they're flickering. They have the agency with them themselves. Have you seen people struggle with not trying to bring in some of those, kind, you know, accommodating behaviors into new relationships?
3: Yes, is the answer. Yeah. That while gaslighting might not happen in every relationship, when it's happened to you, and then it happens again in another relationship, or something happens that could be gaslighting, it either sets out off alarm bells or or, and or it feels very familiar. And you Mm -hmm. think, sometimes, you know, I can accommodate that. That's not too big a deal. And then we can talk about it. And sometimes You can go down that road a little bit and you notice this person really is a gaslighter. They're consistently telling me what I'm thinking, what I should be thinking, how I'm wrong if I don't think that way. And and I'm going to get out. And other times you're back in it, at least for a while.
2: Is there anything that they can look out for when they're in a relationship where there is no gaslighting? Because <laughs> is it? Because I would assume it's easy for someone to say, "Oh, this isn't you." You, be, you learn behavior, and mm-hmm. especially when you're younger, and then all of a sudden. That can feel familiar. It's just like, I, I, I don't, I'm sure that there's some sort of term for it, but when sometimes when people are in like a constant chaos and when everything's calm, then suddenly they'll start self-sabotaging to create the chaos because that's the more safe and familiar feeling. Does, you know what I mean?
3: Yes, of course. That that's the way it's supposed to feel. Like you asked the question early on, well, do all relationships have gaslighting? Well, maybe you go from one to the next thinking, maybe all relationships have gaslighting and this doesn't seem so bad because there's no abuse it's just manipulation you know because that can happen too Mm -hmm. there are different types of gaslighters and not all are intimidators like the person you were with right Mm -hmm. but some some are good guy gaslighters i was married to a good guy gaslighter he was he couldn't be more pleasant if he was here right now people would find him very affable and likable and yet he would constantly tell me that there was something wrong with me when i would for example suggest that maybe his coming late to dinner over and over was disrespectful or i'd prefer that he come on time or call me or give me some notice and i didn't like it and i was uncomfortable sitting at the table for a half hour waiting and he turned that into you know you have a problem with time and he was completely pleasant about it he wasn't didn't call me names never didn't raise his voice ever, but there were manipulations like that. And I was writing the book at the time, and I could still feel myself drawn into that doubt, that doubt, because he was so certain. And I grew up accommodating. I grew up wanting to please. I grew up thinking that you know being empathic means putting yourself in someone else's shoes and seeing it from their side. Too. Right. And so maybe from his side, it looked a little different. And maybe I could see it from his side. How do you walk the
2: line of being empathetic, but also within your own agency? What, do, what is a healthy relationship with empathy and self-respect?
3: <laughs> that, well, that's a great question. So it's not, being empathic does not mean that you have to stand in his shoes and forget that you're wearing shoes too. You know? mm-hmm. like you need to come back to yourself and checking in with your emotions is super um, foundation for this for understanding what's going on for not getting into trouble again for recognizing when you're in trouble and then being able to act because maybe you have some tools that you didn't before having go-to strategies that you can use when you feel that like i can't stand it if he thinks that of me like i can't stand him thinking i'm a slut for example or um i'm forgetful to pick something a little bit easier or i'm crazy or stressed out in often in the workplace i hear people saying that they got completely deflected from asking for what they wanted in a team meeting with a supervisor because somebody said well are you sure you're not just reacting because you're so stressed and so many people are so stressed it's an easy one yeah to to lob at somebody right yeah it is easy to say to someone you're so stressed and to have that person then say you know what they're right maybe that's why i'm x Mm -hmm. and so being aware of your emotions, and there's this fabulous app my colleagues of mine and I worked on at the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence, it's called How We Feel, and you can check in with your emotions there, you can learn about emotional intelligence, you can learn strategies to regulate emotions, so I recommend that to people. And So checking in, and also learning those strategies that work for you at this time, and checking in with what I call your flight attendants also, who are people, in your life who know you well checking in with your flight attendants like your appetite like your dream cycles mm. am i dreaming are they disturbing dreams do i have an appetite do i have a stomach aches all the time those are the things that you can look to to know you're in trouble
2: it, it is wild how much physically we just carry that within us mm-hmm. as well for the actual gas lighter is there hope for them? Like, are there people that you've worked with who were like, oh no, I am a gaslighter and I don't want to do this anymore and I want to work to change the these behavioral patterns. Is there an opportunity for them to become successful in that?
3: I love that question. Thank you. So yes, there is hope. I would say 20 to 30% of the people who seem to be exhibiting gaslight behaviors who I have worked with will say, I, I can't believe I'm doing that to you. Like I had no idea what that was. And now you're telling me that I've undermined your judgment, that I've made you second guess yourself. And I'm so sorry. How can we do it differently? Will you, will you give me a signal when I'm doing that? Or can we, can we look at our conversations and I don't know, I just don't want to do it anymore. But it's far less usual, far less common. And of course, the fear many people have in confronting their gaslighter spouse or gaslighter partner is that the gaslighting will just get worse. Oh yeah, so now you're going to psychologize at me? You know, there you go, that's what you do. Like when you don't know what to say because you don't have a mind, then you'll use your last therapy session, right? And so it can devolve in that way. People are not born gaslighters. It's socially learned and so people either learned it by they watched the movie and they thought it was a great idea to to manipulate somebody in that way or less extreme they watched other people and maybe in their house it could have been even more extreme than the movie itself because they're living it live watching one of their parents gaslight or being a vi- a target victim of gaslighting at the hand of one of their parents and sometimes gaslighters will happen into it because they're caught in the lie. So, or they're caught doing something. Like, where were you last night? And suddenly you, you don't want to answer the question. So rather than saying, you know, I don't want to have this conversation or I told you where I was going or... Or accountability something, for
2: something they probably shouldn't
3: have been doing. Right. And instead... The gaslighting move. What's wrong with you? Why are you so paranoid? Yeah. Right? And so if it's delivered in an intimidating way, then you, the person, the gaslightee, are probably not going to come back with, wait a minute, I asked you a question, and I really want to know the answer, or less intense, I'd really like to know that answer. I asked you that question, now you're talking about me. Can you tell me where you were? Work on your paranoia and then I'll tell you. Mm -hmm. Then we can have the conversation. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so then maybe I become a gaslighter because I don't want to answer the question. Or I don't want, or I want to deflect and answer it later. Mm -hmm.
2: Or just never answer it at all. Or just (laughs) never answer it at all. Uh, I mean, that, it's funny. I, I love the Real Housewives. I love them. They're they're crazy makes me feel sane. They're performative <laughs> crazy, not uh-huh. calling them directly. But I, they were I forget which which one of it. Someone brought up gaslighting on one of the shows, and I I might have even been like the the girls trip episode. But I think it was the new the old New York crew, and someone's trying to say like, oh, you know, gaslight. Do you feel like it's now being used so much that people don't really understand what it is when they're using it? Like it's now become like this term. Like, oh, you're just gaslighting me, you're just gaslighting me, and not really understanding the weight of the actual (laughs) form of manipulation that they are accusing everyone of?
3: Yeah, thank you for that question. Yes, definitely. That it has become so popular that it's used when it's not really gaslighting. So every disagreement is not gaslighting when you're trying to influence someone it's not necessarily gaslighting when you are judging what somebody's doing it's not necessarily gaslighting gaslighting always has the twist in it where there's that intent to make you to cause you to doubt your own thinking or your perception or your memory so remembering that it's about somebody's trying to drive you crazy by manipulating your reality. And you walk into that not realizing that that's what's going on. And that's the hopeful part for the gaslighting, because when you can take a pause and sometimes in the later stages of gaslighting, as you were stuck in, it's really hard to do that on your own. You really need somebody to get you out of there Mm -hmm. in order for that to happen. But when you can take a pause and say, wait a minute, no, that is that's not the way it is. When gaslighting is happening over time, people do, and perhaps you felt this way as well, feel like it's soul-destroying. Like you do not, you are flattened.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yes. And I think other things that I look back on were just... I mean, it, even just memory loss, like constantly feeling like, am I telling myself stories? Like, uh, and even in a in, in adulthood, yeah. I'll find myself question everything, where there are times sometimes when I know I'm having an important conversation, I want to make sure that there are like three people on the call, because I want to be able to check in to make sure that like, mm. did I make, am I making stuff up? Like, am I hearing this the right way? Like, it it, it just it's so easy to fall back in those tendencies of just mm-hmm. completely doubting the way i saw something the way i felt about something the way i remember events mm-hmm. happening to the point where i go like well i, I don't know this is I, I remember a version of it but maybe not maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm wrong mm-hmm. and and it's just really hard to to let go of those things so you're still living
3: with that ghost
2: sometimes yes yes I think I, Mm -hmm. I think I am. And I don't know if it's because I like, that's just where like so many things changed. Like I I was always just Mm -hmm. this like positive, positive, bubbly person. Mm -hmm. And I like lost a lot of that in that period of time Mm -hmm. and always wonder like, do I get that back? Do I build it back? Or is that kind of that, I mean, I know that the answer is that version is kind of gone forever. We grow, we change, we, you know, it's the same thing as like when you have, I, I kind of relate it to having children and this, I, this idea that like your body goes back. It doesn't. You, it goes oh. forward. <laughs> like it doesn't. Definitely. It, it never goes back. And that's nope. not a bad thing. Right. Like it's made me really really I actually appreciate it and love it cuz I I really wanted that experience. And so I I actually wear you know my new body and enjoy that. But I've had to like learn that. So I guess you know finding the part of yourself, you know, what does the how does the flame flicker? later on like how do you you know turn that light back on and get it going again
3: well i think you are doing it you're doing it <laughs> by by helping others to heal you're doing it by it's always healing to tell your own story and to talk about it over again you know you're working through it a little bit more and i i would guess and i would probably wager that you're helping your kids have a different experience of life
2: mhm I mean we all try we all try, definitely try perfection
3: not expected. yeah right? there we go yeah but yeah but it, it is when you think about and when I thought about my my daughter is 33 34 actually she just turned 34 and my son is 36 and they're living their lives pursuing their own passions and certainly they were growing up while I wrote Gaslight Effect and then when it was released again so I think they probably are not as vulnerable as I was to being gaslighted, even though I shouldn't have been vulnerable, right? Because I'm the expert when I was writing the book. But when you're an accommodator, when you are someone who wants to be empathic and please, it's it's comfortable to second guess yourself, right? Yeah. It's okay. And yet my daughter was in a difficult relationship at one point. And once you start on that slippery slope, which is why it's so important to catch it early, if you mm-hmm. possibly can, it's, it devolves pretty quickly if the person on the other end is persistent. And when gaslighting works, which it does, which is what I was describing, that it's not, you're not born a gaslighter, but it's socially learned. And sometimes when you happen into it and it works, because it does, you use it again
2: mm-hmm. when the
3: same kind of situation comes up.
2: Yeah, which I've heard through the grapevine over the years that, yeah, nothing changed. (laughs) Nothing (laughs) changed. Same behavioral patterns, different people.
4: Hold up. What was that?
2: How is that being a parent? Like for me being a parent, I'm just constantly in fear of them hurting or suffering in any way, physically, emotionally. (laughs) Like I just want to wrap them up in like emotional bubble wrap and keep them close and, and know that they're going to be okay. And I know that I can't, I know that that is an impossible feat and that is not good for them. And they need to go out and they need to get bumps and bruises and, and live and love and break and all the things But that must be so difficult to for like, is that hard for you to watch your children go through things when you emotionally know how to help direct them, but know that they also have to carve their own path in life as well?
3: Yes, (laughs) it's hard. It's been especially hard with my daughter. My son just didn't get entangled in that same kind of way and has but with with my daughter, it was she was living in another country at a t- at the time, and she was in this relationship. And I'm just and now I'm processing, thinking, I wonder what she would think if she was watching this right now. <laughs> would this be okay? I think she'd be fine. And I traveled over there because I was so concerned about what was going on with her in her relationship. And I would say that one of the hardest things I've ever done is to get on a plane go going back home, knowing that she had maybe collected some more wisdom about the relationship she was in but she was still in it when i left and and yes knowing that the route for her the pathway for healing and for getting out and staying out was hers for the making and taking Mm -hmm. that i couldn't make her go there i could give her the benefit of my wisdom i could encourage her to read the book I could talk to her about well do you like it when things go on like this or do you is this not okay and what can you do and be curious about her feelings and there for her feelings but I couldn't do it for her and that was really hard yeah oh it's the hardest part it is (laughs) but it's also what like one thing that I think and I just love everyone listening and watching to think about this like what would you say to your kids what do you say to your kids what, how can you help them set boundaries because that's part of what we're talking about how do you set boundaries so that you don't get lost in somebody else's reality how do you reclaim your reality is it as simple as you make a decision you say i know i know this for, this this to be true I want to share an article that I just posted on Medium about gaslighting in teen years, which really took off in the first few days hundreds of people were reading it and And I was wondering, is there more of a an issue with teens and gaslighting than has been come to has been written about or popularized. And maybe yes, because so many people are reading this article and listening to a podcast episode that I did with this young woman, Hannah, and she shared that what she's done to, as a protective factor, protective mechanism against gaslighting, is make a list of her truths. Like, nobody knows my reality but me. Nobody knows what I'm feeling but me. And her I think she had seven or 10 truths that we wrote about on that she shared with me and we wrote about together and powerful, write it down, remember it. She would look at those truths every day when she got home from high school and just say them out loud and writing down conversations is very powerful. If you feel mixed up, write it down. Yeah. That one key friend or two key friends who know you really important. Really important. What If you are a
2: friend and you see someone suffering who might not know that they are suffering, that's a hard conversation approach. Is there anything, is there any pointers? Is there any soft way to begin that conversation knowing that also there's a potential to lose that friendship for a while? Yes,
3: and I would say it's worth the risk. Mm Mm-hmm. It's worth the risk because if you're coming to your friend with love and I would start in that way I really care about you I'm noticing these things without judgment but simply observing I'm worried you don't seem to be yourself I noticed that this happened you know when you state the obvious when you say the things that you actually saw without judgment it's a little easier to digest and maybe there'll be an opening and maybe there won't. I mean, some people just go for it like this friend of of my patient who just said, are you kidding? Like, what are you doing? And that was the wake up call. Yeah. In the movie, when the third, the Joseph Cotton character, who was the neighbor in the in the uh, Gaslight movie, when he eventually came into the house and Paula, played by Ingrid Bergman, said, well, gas lights are flickering, but he said they weren't. I don't remember their exact ch- exchange, but I do remember that the Joseph Cotton character said to her, you know who's up in the attic, don't you? Mm-hmm. You know. And yeah. often that small voice inside of you, that is, the ba- that is the seed for the bigger voice that's been squashed, right? Knows. You know. Yeah. It's not okay, and even if that's all you know, this is not okay. Yeah, and
2: it's it's the I, I remember that part of the movie. It's because it, she keeps hearing footsteps, and she's like, "There's someone walking on the roof," and he's like, "No, there's not. How, how would someone get up there? There's no way to get up there." And she's like, "There's someone walking up there." It's like, "I don't hear it." It's and it it is maddening because it's like if you've been in that situation before, you're arguing, and and someone's just not like just constantly putting down everything that you say and throwing it back with some sort of reason and you're just standing there alone and you're just you get, you get worn out, you get worn down.
3: you get worn down and it's easier to accommodate. but what it's a, it's an important what you're bringing up is really important. so I'm really glad that you brought it back there. it It's never okay or it's never right to be negotiating your reality or debating what you know to be true. like if somebody said, right now. Candice, you're not wearing headphones.
2: And I go, yes, I'm wearing headphones. They're on my ears. No, no, no
3: you're, you're not. You just think you are. <laughs> you think you are. Uh-huh. Right? Like you wouldn't, you would think, okay. And you would be able to somehow walk away. Maybe you try to convince me. No, no, no. I am wearing them. I feel them. I can see them in my reflection, but it's very hard to walk away. So why, why is that moment so sticky? Like, you know what the truth is and then you're trying to convince the gaslighter of the truth too. So you're both in that moment, don't want to let go of that dynamic. Especially when the truth
2: isn't something tacked tactile, like headphones. But when the truth is like something like you're overreacting, you're so emotional. Like why, you you always drop the but. You never do this. You never listen. You never take account into my feelings. You
3: never like it becomes like a personal attack exactly. of who you, have the you are. the worst memory. Like yeah. you never remember anything. And when people would come to my office early on before I wrote the book, I used to think, you know, it is, When somebody comes in with black and blue marks or they can report that their spouses or their partners are cursing and screaming, then they can say, okay, that guy did this to me. But when there are these other things that you just don't feel right about yourself, where you're second guessing everything, where you feel like there's something wrong and you don't know what it is, then women in particular will point their fingers at themselves Mm -hmm. and say, I'm doing it. Or this is my fault. Like, it's my fault we're fighting. Yep.
2: And did you see the, or read the book Made? Did you see the show Made? Yes, I did. That, yeah. I I didn't get out of, I watched the whole thing and like just puffy face crying because I finally saw it. I saw, it was just so, it was so, I just needed to, I saw it. And to see her say, oh, no, 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 I'm not a victim of abuse. Like he doesn't hit me. (laughs) In in thinking that that's you, only, in, in yes. reality, she's waiting for him to hit right. her. That's right. That, and that's the, that's, it was just so impactful to see that. And I, yes. for a lot of people, because that's exactly kind of what we're talking about today too. Yes. It's like this... The, the conversation you have with yourself and and, and even in the simplest way, because I do want to end on a positive note <laughs> of, of how you can find healthy boundaries and how you can find positive practices in relationships, because I can find myself doing it even in the simplest way of even being in a new relationship, whether it's like, like, I, I, I don't even know if this is an accurate example, but like something like, oh, well, I actually already ate or like, actually, I was hoping we'd go to a different restaurant because mm-hmm. I'm craving this kind of food instead of being like, I-, I will just completely accommodate and be like, oh, no, no. Well, then, you know what? I d- I don't need to do that. And actually, I don't need to eat lunch. And you know what? You're mm-hmm. right. I-, I don't need to go do that thing later because we'll just go eat and we'll go do that. And having a partner say like, no, 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 you go Do what you need to do and we can adjust and we'll meet in the middle and maybe I'll meet you over there instead. But just how quickly I'm willing to say like, nope, I I don't need to go do that thing for myself. I'd rather I'll just go whatever is going to be easier for you Mm -hmm. when I'm not even being met with that kind of uh, relational behavior to begin with. But I just immediately jump back into it.
3: Well, and you can learn to gaslight yourself. It's very easy, you know, just becomes the motion, the psychological, cognitive motion that you go into. Like, you know, That's it. So how can you, how do you constantly reclaim yourself? Yeah. How do you do it when you do it?
2: How do you do it? How do you, how should we do it? <laughs> I am trying to hear myself. And I think I, I do well when I schedule things out for myself mm-hmm. and make it. So I have to be somewhere at a time and there's a level of accountability of showing up yeah. for myself because otherwise I, I'm just not very good at that. If I have someone yeah. I'm meeting there, then I'm willing to do something good for myself. That, that helps, I guess.
3: So I would say that it's more than just checking in with your feelings, it's honoring them. Not just to say, okay, now I know I'm uncomfortable, I'll use this strategy, but rather, okay, I'm uncomfortable every time we have this conversation like this or every time I'm with this person I'm uncomfortable so maybe I need to do something about it and giving yourself giving yourself permission to well first of all give yourself permission to make mistakes along the way of being patient with yourself which is another thing that is really important because you are I mean you are going for the light you know you Mm -hmm. are a vibrant beautiful woman and you are reclaiming yourself every time you do this work I believe. And I think that being able to give yourself that and to really work with whatever is in your way of giving yourself that Mm -hmm. and checking in with your reality as many times as you can, making a decision. Okay, I made this decision. Even if it was like, okay, right now I feel like working out. Okay, great. I made a decision. And you might not want to talk about that with your partner or maybe you do, but you can certainly note it to yourself. I am capable of making decisions. I know what I want. And the more time you can practice doing what you want, knowing what you want, and then doing it, the better you get at mm-hmm. being able to stay the course when you know what you want. And being able to tolerate uncomfortable feelings. Yeah. Really hard to do that. Being, a- being willing to leave the relationship being willing to give it up if you insist on your reality if you assert your reality and the person keeps coming back at you with some gaslighting thing being able to walk away really hard and I and I want to give a nod to the fact that sometimes you can't really walk away the person is your boss the person is your parent and you're not willing to give up your whole family to walk away from a gaslighting relationship but then can you limit it Can you keep track of what are the triggers for gaslighting and try to avoid them? Can you not sit next to grandma at the next family function, but just say hello and goodbye? You're going to have to see her, but maybe not more than that. Can you equip yourself with phrases that will work like, no, we're not going to go there. or I don't really want to talk about that. Thank you for asking, but. I'd like not to talk about that or I'm not going to talk about that. We're going to have to agree to disagree. So early on in the gaslighting, the descent into more gaslighting, stopping the tango, Mm -hmm. stopping the power struggle, really important. And writing down the script so that you begin to see whenever somebody challenges me, I pivot into gaslighting. Maybe even when they don't, as you're describing, maybe you do it all by yourself now. Mm-hmm. And how can you challenge that voice? Yeah. And I would say have compassion for yourself, like practice compassion, self-compassion,
2: because
3: mm-hmm. we're so ready to give it to other people, those people, those of us who are empathic, but you're deserving of it as well.
2: A- another phrase that's really helped is realizing, oh, that doesn't belong to me. Like when things are being kind of put onto you, and when you do realize the behavior and you do realize like, oh, well, actually, that doesn't belong to me. Kind of in in relation to like the seven truth or the truths that you you were speaking on and like really holding on tight to those.
3: And saying it over and over to yourself. Mm-hmm and saying it over and over to yourself.
2: Well, I could truly just keep talking to you for a million a million years, but I will not do that and take up any more of your time. I really appreciate the work that you do to be able to have the opportunity to sit with you. Thank you so much, Dr. Stern. I really appreciate
3: it. Well, thank you, Candace. I really applaud what you've done to heal yourself and to bring healing to so many people around the world. And I'm honored to be your guest and i hope we'll have another opportunity to talk and and um, just continue your important work people need to hear you thank oh. you so much thank you
2: a super bloom podcast is hosted by me Candace King produced by Melissa Demonts and Diamond Imprint Productions edited by Diane Kang post production sound by Coco Lawrence and advertising partnership with Acast